Welcome to the Cap City Church podcast. This is a recording of our Sunday message. We pray that you're encouraged and challenged as you listen to it. Enjoy. I always preach with notes. I always do. But I have more notes than normal because, and the reason being, because God was only still yesterday speaking to me on this. So I had to write it down and then didn't want to forget that, so wrote notes. But even in the worship, God is still speaking to me on this. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for inviting me to come and speak on, in your Exodus series. And I was really pleased a couple of weeks ago, Sammy said, can you come? And I was really pleased because actually the Exodus, book of Exodus and the story of the Israelites being led by God through Moses out of Egypt and into the freedom of the promised land. It's probably one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. But speaking on the golden calf is really, God has just done a work in me and is still doing a work in me this last few weeks. So really bear with me because we might get emotional. My favorite New Testament story, by the way, is in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit falls on the believers on the day of Pentecost, and they are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Just thought I would throw that in. So I understand that you've been looking at Exodus for the last few weeks and you've looked at that first half of Exodus, which shows how God demonstrates his grace, but his power through Moses to see the Israelites leave Egypt. And I know that you've looked at how God has showed that he is more powerful than all the gods in Egypt by the plagues, by Pharaoh agreeing eventually to let them go. You've looked at the Red Sea, I'm sure, and the parting of the Red Sea. You've looked at how God fed the people with manna to fulfill their daily needs. He's led them by a, cl- a cloud above them to protect them from the heat in the desert, by a pillar of fire at night to light the way. He showed his great and wondrous power. And he's given them, I know you've looked at that, his personal name. Until now, the Israelites have only known him as his formal name of El Shaddai, that God's almighty. But now he wants them to know his personal name. He wants them to know him as Yahweh. Yahweh means to be. He wants to be amongst them, to be with them, to be their personal guide. He wants to draw them into a more intimate relationship with him. He's got more for them. And we're in the second half of Exodus now. Um, God is instructing them how to live, how in that response for him leading them into freedom, he expects, he wants, he desires something from them. And he's taken them into the wilderness to remove the culture that they have known, the culture that has been inbred into them, all they've known. And he wants to remove that culture from them. And he gives them the commandments. I know you looked at that last week. But before he gives them those commandments, he calls them to talk with him. And they're afraid. They're weary. They wanted to keep their distance from God. They're afraid of this open invitation he's given them. And they send Moses on their behalf to go and speak. They want to hear what God has to say. But they want to know it through the safety of Moses. They want to just keep God still, arm's length. So God's given them the Ten Commandments, instructions on how he wants them to live. He's instructed them to build an altar to worship him. And at that point, he interestingly highlights this, that they are not to make any other idol out of gold or silver to rival him. We sang this morning, he wants no rival. He wants no equal. 
And the people respond and they say, yeah, we will do everything, Lord, that you've commanded us. We will obey you. We will listen to you. And then God has called Moses back up to the mountain to talk to him. He wants to give him the tablets of stone on which he will inscribe his instructions and his commands, those Ten Commandments. And he wants to do that so that Moses can then go down and teach the people. And it's during this visit that God is also telling Moses that he wants to be close to his people. He wants to dwell amongst them. He doesn't want to be up there on the mountain while they're down there. He wants to set up camp with them. And so he instructs Moses in detail of how he's going to build this tabernacle, which is going to house God's presence amongst the people. And he gives him detailed instructions of how the people must worship him through that. So he's up there a while. These are detailed instructions he's given. If you read, you will see that he goes into all sorts of depth. Now, I'm a detail person, but when I've been reading that, I'm like, oh my goodness, so much detail. So Moses is up there for a long time while he's doing this. 40 days, 40 nights. And while he's gone, the people start getting confused. Moses is gone. They don't know what to do. He's been taken from them, and, and, and they don't know what to do without him here. And it's only weeks after making this solemn covenant with God that they will worship him and him alone, they will obey his commands, the people come to Aaron. Aaron's left, and they're saying, we don't know what to do. Because Moses is gone. What, what can we do? Can you make us a God that we can see that can lead us? And Aaron buckles under that pressure and he says, people go then, get golden rings from the ears of your sons and daughters and bring them to me. So they've gone and they get gold from the ears of their family members and they bring it to Aaron. And we read in Exodus 32, that Moses then takes that gold and he fashions it, Aaron, sorry, Aaron fashions that gold into a golden calf. Last time I came, I brought a staff because I spoke on Moses' staff. I couldn't find a golden calf to bring with me today. I wish I could because somebody came up to me today and you went, you preached on the good staff last time. So it's good to have a visual, but I haven't, I'm sorry. No golden calf could be found. And I wasn't sure how to fashion one out of uh, the gold that we've got in our house. Not much of it, mine girls, but we've got a couple of gold earrings. So he's molded it and he's fashioned it and he's made it into the shape of a calf. Now you might be thinking, why a calf? Interesting choice of animal. Why not a goat or a bear or a lion? But they would have seen the Egyptians worshipping that calf. The Egyptians would have worshipped a golden calf. And Aaron remembers that, and he remembers what that calf would have represented, fertility and strength. He's remembering what he had known in Egypt, and he's saying, right, okay, they want something to worship. That's what I'm going to give them. And the people get really excited when he presents this golden calf, and they are saying, this is amazing. This is, this is what is going to lead us. This is the, the God who has led us out of Egypt. What? They think this calf, they've seen all that God performed, all the miracles he performed, and they think that this, God, this golden calf is what led them out of Egypt. Now, we'll come back to that. Why did they think that this golden calf, why did they not see that that wasn't the God who led them? And Moses then 
goes a step further. So the people are now excited that this golden calf has been presented to them. And he announces that they're going to build an altar in front of it. And they're going to have a festival. And they're going to come. And they're going to bring all their burnt offerings and sacrifices. And they're going to have this huge festival where they worship this calf. And when God sees, he's, he's with Moses. And when he sees what's going on, the very thing that he's commanded them not to do, to make an idol out of silver and gold, and there they are with their golden calf, he sends Moses back down to the people. And when Moses comes back down and he sees them worshipping, he is furious. He takes the tablets of stone which God has inscribed himself and he throws them to the ground and he burns this calf. He destroys the calf. He cannot believe that despite all that God has done in their lives, they are choosing to worship this idol. So what is an idol? An idol is an object or picture that is worshipped as a god or a person or thing regarded with total admiration, devotion, or adoration. So an object or picture that is worshipped as a god or a person or thing regarded with total admiration, devotion, or adoration. We can have idols in our lives. The things and the people that we put above God. Now, we might not create golden calves to worship, but we can allow the little things, the big things, to take that place, to become that object that we worship, the thing that we give our admiration, our devotion to, the things that we look to before we look to God. When Lawrence's grandma was alive, and the girls were little, we go and visit her at the weekend. Now, she adored her great-grandchildren, Charlotte and Katie, and she had three other great-grandchildren too. She was so proud of them, and she would talk about them and her grandchildren everywhere that we went. And I used to chuckle inside as I listened to her talking to other people about her top accountant granddaughter or her top footballer grandson. That's you, Lawrence, you know, you were a top footballer. She adored them. She was totally devoted to them. They had all of her time and attention. As soon as we would walk through the door, you know, everything would be about them. Everything would be all about them. She was this doting great-grandmother and grandmother. And in her living room, she had this huge mantelpiece which stretched from one end of the room to the other. Can you remember it, girls? Now, I don't know why she had such a huge mantelpiece because her fire in the middle of it was tiny. She didn't need this huge mantelpiece. But she did need the mantelpiece because on this mantelpiece were picture frames. They were full of pictures of her, her parents, they were um, her friends, there was one of grandma and granddad on their wedding day, there was one of granddad standing next to this big truck, he was a long distance lorry driver, the day he retired. But right there, in the centre of her mantelpiece, her pride and joy was this photograph. We're a handsome bunch, aren't we? A photograph of her top grandchildren and top great-grandchildren. Oh, you've grown, girls. Right there at the centre. Because they were so important to her, she wanted everyone who came into her house to see right there at the centre of her life. 
And what's at the center of your life? What is it that takes the center place, the pride of place on the mantelpiece of your life? Or maybe in today's day and age, we probably would say, what is the screensaver on our phone? And as I was preparing this message, I've been thinking about idols. I saw this social media post that a friend of mine had put on social media not long ago. It was a photograph of her family. And written in the caption was this. My world, I worship the ground they walk on. Now, although Lawrence's grandmother had great devotion and adoration for her grandchildren, her top grandchildren and great-grandchildren, they weren't the most important thing in her life. She didn't worship the ground that they walked on. She cared about them. She had a lot of devotion towards them. But there was something else that took grandma's attention, the pride of place in her life. Because when you walked into her living room, you'd see on the center of her coffee table, a Bible. And that is what Lawrence's grandmother worshipped. The children were important to her. And yes, there'll be people and things in our lives that are important to us. They're gifts that God has entrusted into our world. But they're not our world. God wants to be our world. God wants to be first place in our lives. He wants to be there at the center of the mantelpiece above all else. And he knows there is a desire in all of us to worship him. It's the first commandment he's given us in Exodus 20 verse 1. I am the Lord your God. I rescued you from the land of Egypt, your place of slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make yourself an idol of any kind or any image of anything in the heavens and on the earth and in the sea. You must not bow down to them. You must not worship them. For I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Worship me and only me. And he gets that. He gets that there will be things and people in our life which will vie for our attention. But he wants that focus, that main focus, to be first and foremost on him and him alone. And he says it's because he's a jealous God. But he's also because he's our loving father. And he knows that he wants to draw us into our relationship with him. And if we take our focus off him, if we turn to worship something else, that's not going to be good for us. So how do, how, like the Israelites, do we end up worshipping idols easily? Because they slipped into it. Moses won't gone long, and they've slipped right into it. So how do we end up following idols? First of all, we can follow our heads. What we know. What we used to. Our thoughts our unconscious habits even, those things we default to. Because here, with the first sign of trouble, Moses hasn't been gone particularly a long time. They default to what they'd know, what they're familiar with. And it does sound, I just said a little while ago, it sounds ridiculous that after all these miracles and signs of God's presence with them, their instinct is to resort back to what they knew in Egypt. How on earth could they mistake this calf for the God who has led them out of Egypt. Why do they not recognize it for what it is? And it's because they don't know God personally. 
even though he's been inviting them and drawing them into this closer relationship with him, they're hiding behind Moses. They're keeping God at arm's length. Now, these Israelites, they've only ever been answerable to slave masters. They've never had the freedom to worship and live as they wanted. And even since they've left Egypt, they're still being led by someone. They're still being led by Moses. They're still looking to him. We don't know what to do. We'll ask Moses. Moses will tell us what God is saying. Moses will tell us what to do. They're not looking to God. And I know that this is a phrase that you have been using during this season. God has taken the Israelites out of Egypt, but he's struggling to get Egypt out of the Israelites. They're still wanting to do what they have always done. They're being offered this freedom, yet they're choosing to live in the slavery of what they know. The lie that is saying you are slaves, you can't do this on your own. And that's how we live. Sometimes with God calling us into a new way of life, Maybe into a deeper relationship with him, a deeper dependency on him, an intimate relationship with him. He's calling us, yet we choose something different. We follow our heads. Often what we know, maybe the logic of our thoughts, we try and sort it out, Lawrence said, in our own strength. We just default to our knowledge. Now, I've had the most wonderful night away on Friday. We'd received some really good news this week on Thursday, and I wanted to celebrate. The news was for Lawrence, has gone through some stress in work, and it was some really good news. So I booked an impromptu, don't do this very often, but nearly surprise, <laughs> relaxing night away. I say nearly surprise, because Lawrence found out on Thursday. <laughs> no, Katie didn't spill the beans. Well, she did spill the beans after dinner, at dinner, but after. I had already told him because I'm rubbish at keeping surprises. So those of you who know me, though it's a lot, many people work with me. If you don't know me, I like to be super organized. I like to be super efficient. I like to get as much done as I can. I like to do less. I like to tick things off. So we had in this really surprise, impromptu, relaxing spa break, we had an itinerary. And we did well to stick to it. It took me two hours to put together on Thursday evening. And we did well to stick to it on Friday, didn't we? But yesterday, we slept in slightly by about 20 minutes. Now, this isn't sounding very relaxing at all, is it? Now, we got down to the spa after breakfast a little bit later than I had intended, in line with my itinerary. And I'm thinking, how are we going to fit going to Gloucester Cathedral? If you've never been to Gloucester Cathedral, guys, it is immense. You need to go. Um, we went into this like little crypt tour yesterday. It was amazing. But we were going to go to Gloucester Cathedral. We were going to have lunch. We had to get back to Newport to pick the girls up. Charlotte was babysitting in the night, so there was lots to do. So I'm having a little sunbathe out on the lawn. Yes, you can sunbathe in February. Sun, nice warm on my face, wrapped up in my little um, towelling robe. And um, I had a little read, and then I came in, and I had a sauna to warm up, because it wasn't that warm, somebody didn't have worry. And then I got in the jacuzzi, and I wanted to fit in another swim, no, a swim, because I had another swim, and another little read before we left. Like, that was my plan in my head. So I got in the swimming pool, and there's this big fancy clock on the wall, and it's no numbers, it's all the no Roman numerals, and it's got all these swirly bits of metal. And I look at the clock, and I realize it's midday. And I'm thinking, 
oh my goodness, right, I need to swim for 15 minutes, but I'm going to have to lose the read because I need to get out of quarter past because then if I have a quick shower, I can be ready by half past and we can leave at half past because that's what the itinerary says that we need to do. <laughs> so I start swimming. <laughs> oh, I'm fun to go away with. No, we had a good time, didn't we? And I'm thinking about this preach. And after a while, I say to God, so what are some of the other idols in my life? He's already pointed out a few that I'm working through, but what other idols are there in my life? And I look up at the clock as I ask that question, and it's 11.45. Yes, 11.45. And the swirly bit, which was reaching from the center to the six on the clock, is gone. And that swirly bit is now on the nine. And I'm like, ah, that wasn't a swirly bit. That was the big hand. So it must have said 11.30 when I got in the swimming pool. Now, honestly, I am so excited in this moment. I think probably that was the most exciting part of the whole weekend. <laughs> I'm really sorry, but it was. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I can fit in a reed and I can swim for a bit longer. And do you know what? I might even have time to get in the sauna. And in my head, I'm doing this whole like to-do list that I can tick off with timings and everything. And I stopped in the middle of the swimming pool and I thought oh dear there's my idol sometimes I can be so focused on my to-do list taking things off fitting in as much as I can in my own head my own strength that that to-do list gets way more attention than God in my life just being with him, just including him. It's a safe space, isn't it? I've been vulnerable. I have several colleagues here who are going to hold me accountable to this moving forward. I welcome it, guys. Work is stressful at the minute. I welcome that. So what else can cause us to worship idols? We've looked at our head and our thoughts. What about our eyes? What we see around us? People jobs, finance. When things are challenging or even when they're really good, we can take our eyes off Jesus and we can look to these things that we can see. With Moses gone, what did the Israelites see? Absolutely nothing. And they turned to Aaron, putting their trust and devotion in another human being, something tangible, something they could see, and I, I do wonder, as I've been preparing this, and this is just my thoughts, this is not commentary, this is just my thoughts, but I wonder if Moses was removed by God for that period of time. Because the reality was, the people were looking to him and worshipping him. They weren't looking to God. They didn't know what to do without him. So actually, by God removing him, he wanted to know what they were doing straight away. Something else visible they could see straight away there to Aaron, at Aaron. And we can be like that, can't we? We can put our hope, our security, our trust in other people. We can put our security and our trust and hope in church leaders, in other people around us on this journey. We can look to them to fix us. We can look to them to make things right. When good news comes or when bad news comes, we can be straight away without even consulting God, picking up the phone or texting our friend. 
We can look to others to know what God is saying in our lives instead of stopping to listen ourselves to what he might want to say to us. Years ago, I heard somebody preach. If I'm going to hear from God, I want to hear it from him, not from someone else. And if these people that we put our trust and hope in fail or fall because we're human, and we do, and we've put all our trust and hope in them, what happens? Our world comes crashing down. Now, we absolutely should have other people in our lives. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't have other people who are going to encourage and sharpen us. This is what this body is about. We absolutely should sharpen one another, disciple one another, but we should be careful not to look to others as our God instead of looking to God. And that's what the Israelites are doing here in this passage. With Moses gone, they're looking to Aaron, and, and Aaron is influenced by what he sees around him. So he's seeing these people look to him, and he responds to that influence by looking to what he had seen and known in Egypt. He'd seen the Egyptians worshipping this golden calf as a god of strength. And at this point of weakness in his life, he wants to worship what he'd seen. And he creates that calf, and he worships it. Now, coming back to that social media post I, so, I talked about, can we say that God is my world above all other people, above all other things, above our family, our friends, a partner, our jobs, our homes, our body image? Now, when it comes to people, I know that can be hard because we love those people in our lives dearly and we see them maybe daily, weekly. We see them all the time, but they're gifts, the gifts that God has given in our world. They're not our world. Yes, God wants us to celebrate them, to champion them, to, to love and journey with them. We're called into relationship, but they're not meant to be our world. In 2013, I'd worked at that point as a barrister in the Crown Prosecution Service for over a decade. And they were offering voluntary redundancy. And they offered this voluntary redundancy. It's a very long story. Sometime I'll tell you. But they'd offered it after three weeks of me definitely hearing God telling me that he was going to move me on somewhere else in my career. So as soon as we get this all staff email, I accepted. I, I did ring Lawrence and like just confirm that it was okay. But I literally was the first person to respond and say, yep. I loved my job but I knew that God was saying, there's something else. And in that process, because it was quite a lengthy process, this redundancy process, in that process, I remember having doubts one day. I think I wouldn't be human if I didn't, because I could see that that financial security of me working as a senior lawyer I was at the time, in the civil service, with a nice paycheck and an even better pension, I could see that that was a good thing. And I can remember, the girls were really small at the time, in my bedroom, on my knees, praying, and the tears, Abby said it, were pouring down my cheeks. And I was saying, God, I know you are telling me that this is time to move on. I know I have to do this. But what about the girls. I'm not sure I can do this to them. 
I'm not sure I can take away this financial security that I can see and I know. And he said these words. I've never heard God audibly, but this was as close, I think, to that. Like, it was so strong. And I've remembered those words so many times since. He said this. Charlotte and Katie were mine before they were ever yours. They are a gift to you, and I will provide for them. And in that moment, I knew. God didn't want me to rely on what I could see in the financial rewards. He didn't want me to put the girls above what he wanted for me and us. He wanted to be my world. He wanted me to trust him and only him. And it was a reminder that my job, the financial security, the status, because even though I couldn't see it then, I definitely, looking back, can see that at the time my identity was so wrapped up in being a lawyer. The girls were just gifts, albeit really important gifts, but they were not my world. And there are so many things that will be important gifts in our lives, but he does not want us to see them as the thing to worship. He wants us to look to him. We sang it this morning, lift our heads, lift our eyes to him. And there's a crossover there with my final point, which was sometimes we've, we've looked at we following our heads, we've looked at following our eyes, and that can involve the people around us. And sometimes then we follow our heart. What we love, what we feel, and often that can be relationships. We've talked about those we love, those we admire, but we can also get swept up by the influences around us, the things that we love to do, the things that, we, that make us feel good even if it's only temporary satisfaction. And whatever caused Aaron to fashion that calf out of gold, whether it was his desire to worship something tangible, whether that was the pressure he was just feeling from the people, look what happened when he saw the response of the people. If you read it, I've not read the whole of Exodus 32, please go away and read it afterwards if you haven't. But when he sees the response of the people, they are so so happy they're so pleased and in that moment did he love that attention did he love the difference that he was making because he gets carried away in it it's not enough that there's a golden calf now he's going to build an altar and he's going to call this massive festival he's going to encourage people to come with their sacrifices he gets totally wrapped up in it and it's really interesting that when God confronts him, when God comes down and he comes to him and he says, Aaron, what is this? Aaron does this. He blames the influences around him. He got swept up in it, but he now blames the influences. You know how evil these people are, he said. They told me to make them a God who would lead them. And, and, and all I did, all I did, Moses, I promise, all I did was take, tell, tell them to take off their jewelry and I threw it into the fire. And when I threw it into the fire, just out came this calf. There's no explanation that he's taken the time fashioning this calf and that he's looked to what he knew and he's made this calf. He's just saying, it just happened. Did he feel shame in his heart and want to cover up? 
Sound familiar? With Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Adam doesn't take that blame and say sorry. He, he blames Eve. He, he tries to cover up. Aaron didn't even have an apology for Moses. He didn't say something along the lines, but I was under so much pressure. They were coming at me and they were like nagging me and I didn't know what to do when you were gone and I, I didn't have you to ask and I didn't know what to do, but I'd seen this in Egypt, so I thought, oh, you know, good idea. I'll just make this golden calf, but I then got really excited and carried away and I, I'm, I'm really sorry, Moses. I don't know what got over me. I, I know it was wrong. I'm sorry. There was, there was none of that. Instead, he tries to shift the brain to hide behind his weakness. He's not willing to be vulnerable. In this safe place here, he's not willing to be vulnerable and take responsibility and say, do you know what, my feelings just got the better of me and I just got taken away with them and I've just ended up worshiping something that I wasn't meant to because I just felt it. And we can all do that. We can all be led by our hearts, by our feelings and We can say I was having a really hard time and I needed to just get out and let my hair down. It was my escapism. I was so close to that promotion in work. You know, I just had to get that 72 hours a day in. Katie's gone. I was just going to correct her that there's not 72 hours in a day just in case she didn't get that. But she's not here. But they paid me so many compliments and they said that they loved me and, and my feelings just got the better of me. And I just gave them all my attention and looked to them before you, God. Because when we come to God and we say that, he understands that there will be things that come, but he just wants us to come and be honest and open and ask him to refocus our attention. He wasn't mad with me yesterday when I went, oh my goodness, the to-do list. He probably was there just going, yes, she got it. Yes, she's going to ask people to come around her. Yes, she's put me right back there where I want to be. So after the Israelites have been caught worshipping this calf, what happens to them, you wonder? Well, Moses goes to God and asks him what God wants him to do with the people. And God says, you are to call together all the people that refuse to worship, all those people whose eyes are still set on me. So he goes back and he, he does that. And he then says this, which is what God had instructed. Take your swords Go back and forth throughout this whole camp, killing everyone who else who worshipped the calf. Killing your brothers, your friends even, your family members. And that group of Levites who were chosen to put God first did just that. And it's recorded that 3,000 people died that day. I mentioned right at the beginning that my other favourite Bible story in the New Testament, is in Acts 2. We're here on the day of Pentecost after Jesus had ascended into heaven and he sends the Holy Spirit to the believers. Now, Pentecost was the very festival where Jews celebrated the day that the Israelites were given the law from Moses. That's the same day that Moses finds the Israelites worshiping the golden calf and the very day that God orders 3,000 of them to be killed for breaking the law he's given them. Now, interestingly, there are many parables. It's a preaching itself to talk about the parables between Exodus and Acts 2. But on that day in Pentecost, centuries later, when the 
Disciples are gathered in that upper room and the Holy Spirit descends on them with great power. It's in that power that Peter then goes out and preaches his famous preach. And guess how many people are added to the church that day? 3,000. Worshipping idols leads to destruction and pain and harm on our part and hurt. And it's often only temporary. The Israelites didn't get to worship that golden calf for very long. But worshipping Jesus above all else in our lives, putting him first, being led by the power of the Holy Spirit in that intimate relationship of Yahweh that he wants to us, that brings about blessing and increase. So how can we keep our eyes and our hearts and our minds focused on Jesus? How can we see what is happening in our culture around us and choose not to fit in and not to go with that? How can we not get swept up in letting other things become the centerpiece in our lives on that mantelpiece? Let's turn to Romans 12, verse 1 to 2. And I'm going to read it from two different translations. Any trans, all of the translations are amazing. They just bring a slightly different thought and slant on it. But I'm going to read, first of all, from the NLT, the New Living Translation, and then the message. And so, dear brothers and sisters, that's us, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the customs and behavior of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will, which is good and pleasing and perfect for you. The message puts it like this. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, your ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to walk, you're walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him and you. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture all around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you. He develops well-formed maturity in you. Our everyday lives are our act of worship. And God wants to be in the center of it all. Everything we say, everything we do. In those moments of struggle where we can easily let our heads rule, where we can always try and sort it out by what we've known in our own strength, God tells us to look to him, to fix our thoughts on him, and he'll transform how we think. We sang at the beginning, Lord, lift my head to God. In those moments of not being able to see God, in those moments of not being able to feel close to him or not knowing what to do, Abby was hugely vulnerable this morning. She shared her journey of not being able to see God. In those moments, he doesn't want us to look to other things. He wants us to keep looking at him. 
to fix our attention on him. It's hoping that because we will see him again. We sang that this morning. I will live to see love invading. Sometimes we just need to keep our eyes on him. And when we're getting swept up in our culture, so easy to do, the things that influence us, the things that we love, when we're following our heart, but we know it's not what God wants for us. God doesn't want our heads and our hearts to turn in worship to the wine bottle, to the friend that we ring or text to sort it out, to the relationship that we know is not God's ideal for us, to the phone games as a form of escapism, to the gym, to the chocolate bar, it's mine, or the five pack of caramel eggs I keep buying every time I'm stressed, like it's ridiculous, I must have spent about 50 pounds on caramel eggs over the last few weeks. Now all just aside, those things are not all bad. But it's the position, we've talked about position today, it's the position of our heart. Those things can exist in our lives. Some of them are gifts, chocolate is definitely a gift. But are they taking the place of God? He doesn't want us to conform to the culture without thinking. He wants us to accept this invitation, to have that personal, intimate relationship with him, to look to him first and foremost, to, be his, to, to look to him as our Yahweh, to be included in every aspect of our life. Our eating, our sleeping, our going to walk, our walking around, our, all that we do. He wants us to worship him and him alone because do you know what? He knows that worshiping him and him alone will mean that he will direct us and we will know, it says in Romans, his good, pleasing and perfect will for us. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we don't have to do this life on our own. You choose to dwell amongst us. You sent your son, Jesus, as our savior because you wanted to leave that way open for us to have an intimate relationship with you, to hear you, to feel you, to experience you. And at the times where we don't feel your presence, where we maybe feel that you're distant and we don't feel close, help us to be reminded that you are with us right there by our sides, and we just have to put our head knowledge aside to fix our eyes on your gaze, to let our hearts be led to you and to your word, to fix our thoughts and be transformed by you. Lord, help us to see the idols, those golden calves, those little things that we put in our life that at the moment might be taking that center place on our mantelpiece might be the first thing that we turn to in times of good and bad. And let us put you back in that place, the place of all honor and all glory, the place where you belong, at the center of our lives. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about us, visit our website, capcitycardiff.org.uk.